It's Jim. Jim, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. I didn't want to risk saying your name wrong uh, because it's more, the next bit after Jim is more difficult for me to pronounce. But do you want to say it? Yeah, it's it's Letras Kvortrup. Yeah, it's a bit difficult. Uh, my wife and I are quite stubborn. None of us would give up our last name, so we put it together. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Is that and and where are you from, Jim? And where are you calling us from today? Um, I'm sitting in Copenhagen in Denmark. Oh, lovely, lovely. And uh, and okay, well, and you don't have to say where you're actually from if you don't want to. Uh, fair enough. Oh no no no, I'm I'm, I'm from Denmark. Oh, you're from there as well. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> Sorry, yeah, sometimes I'm, I'm... I push too much about personal details, and then people no, no, say, no, no, "Stop matter. asking." No, no, no. Okay. My uh, my mom is from Denmark. My dad is from Morocco, North Africa. And you have a fascinating story about North Korea. I mean, what? How did you get started? I mean, I suppose for those who don't know the audience members and stuff, give us a bit of background about. I mean, from the beginning, I just guess your your relationship with North Korea. Well, well it, it, it's a long story, and I know we don't have that much time. So, mm. uh, I I have a right, quite crazy background story. Uh, uh, I, I was stealing cocaine for for many years, and yeah. uh, oh, by the way, the... we're not supposed to say those words too much if it's possible. Uh, oh. <laughs> so just like if. Uh, I, don't, I don't. I don't know exactly what to say, but maybe the the white stuff <laughs> or the green oh. stuff, something like that. Just because of YouTube, yeah. stupid okay. thing. Okay. Okay. Now we have said it, so now people know what we are talking about. But yes, I, I was doing that, and at one point I I went to jail, and uh, then I met my wife. Uh, while I was in jail, I. I didn't tell her exactly the truth that I still continue my business while I was in prison. I told her sure. I helped out a friend uh, <laughs> and I was a key account manager, which is not entirely lie. Uh, so we got married when I came out of prison and she got pregnant. And eight months later, I was throwing back to jail again mm. in an even bigger case. And uh, I thought she was going to leave me, but uh, she said if I could promise her I would never go to jail again, and if I took education. The thing is, I have ADHD, I'm dyslexic. So I said, I can promise you I won't be criminal, but I, I cannot go back to school. That's impossible. But she said, that's the term. So for the time I was in prison, she taught me to read and write, and I took my high school diploma in prison. And I came out with an average grade point that high that I was accepted to Copenhagen University where I started studying psychology. So when I came out of prison, uh, the biggest radio station in Denmark did a story about my life. And the 18th of September 2015, we won the award for best feature of the year about the radio show. And there I met a a director called Mass Brugger. And uh, we became friends. And uh, at one point, he called me and said, have you ever heard about something called Danish North Korean Friendship Association? And I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, I can't get out of here. That's not such a thing. And he said, yeah, there is. And uh, I've had a guy there for seven years who have been undercover. 
and he erased so much. So he had actually been in North Korea. The thing, he's a friend of the family, and he have a medal, and he's very trustworthy. So trustworthy that some highest ranked people have asked him if he can come up with investors who want to invest in North Korea. And uh, we were thinking about, is that a job for you? Can you pretend to be a Scandinavian oil billionaire who wants to invest in North Korea? And I said, give me 30 minutes. I have to talk to my wife. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I, I talked to my wife and said, I think this could be fun. And uh, she said, yeah, yeah, go for it. So two days later, I'm in a play on my way to Norway in a presidential suite where we have mucked it up with hidden cameras. And I meet the president of the Friendship Association, a Spanish guy called Alejandro Caudebenas. And at this point, they haven't told us anything about which kind of investment they're looking for. So I was kind of telling who I was. I said I presented a big family uh, a company that uh, we did different investments, weapon, pharmaceutical. I, I, I mentioned a lot of things just for him to feel free. Mm. And then he started to <laughs> tell about that they could provide me with any kind of weapons that they already make white label. label. If you don't know what that is, uh, if you make white label uh, weapons, that means that he said they made white label uh, missiles for Iran. That means if you see the missile anywhere, it would look like it's produced there. So you cannot see which country it's producing. That, that's what uh, referred to as white label. Uh, and how they could manage to get weapon out of North Korea and how to produce methamphetamine. They had specialists to do that. So that was my first accountant. Um, then I was called up three months later of uh, the instructor and say, I talked to the producer and uh, we're quite keen what would happen if we say we would be interested in buying that. We want you to meet him again. And I said, all right. So I flew down to Madrid, another presidential suite, hidden cameras. And... Uh, at that point, I said, I have some guys in Yemen. They're quite interested in the weapons. And while I was in prison, I saw a documentary about in Second World War, how the uh, Nazis wanted to make false British pound and fly them over London and drop it down to break the, the British economy. And I thought that was hilarious. It was a really great story. And I said, fuck it, I steal that story. So I'm sitting there and say, and then I have some other guys in Yemen. They're quite in, interested in the methamphetamine. They want to produce it, fly it over Tel Aviv, drop it down to demoralize, says the youth in Israel. And he loved it. He said, I love it. Everything is good. Right now, the next goal is you have to fly to North Korea and meet with the intelligence service down there. I was like, okay. So four months later, I'm on a plane, I fly to Beijing, go to the North Korean embassy there, stamp my passport, and uh, I'm off to uh, North Korea. And uh, <laughs> Scared? 
No, no, actually I wasn't uh, because when I met with him in um, in Oslo, I said to him, my minimum investment is 50 million euro. Uh, because otherwise they have no interest. I say we are in uh, this hedge fund. We are not that many people. So we invest 2 billion euros a year and uh, we don't have time to have small cases. Mm. So either we have to be in that volume or they have no interest in for me. So I knew nobody in the right mind would ever invest in North Korea and think about now you have a guy who's willing to min invest minimum 50 million euro. So I knew they would treat me like a king when I came there. <laughs> so <laughs> unless unless they so, realized you weren't who you said you were, then you could be in trouble. Yeah, but if you look at me in the paper back home, with my background, I mean, me being in jail for what I did, it's not what disqualified you as an arms dealer. So I was not nervous on, on any of those things. So I got to North Korea and they started to show me all kinds of things. I mean, I was treated like a king. It, it, was, it was quite interesting. They took me to the opera and, and one night I remember we were sitting and uh, doing karaoke and drinking sake. And one of them say, oh, I have to show you something. The great leader, he uh, he made this water park for $100 million US. And I saw those pictures and it was awesome. I mean, it was crazy. And I say, tomorrow I want to show you it. I'm like, show it to me. What, what do you mean show it to me? I mean. Well, you don't know about me. Actually, I love water parks. I'm a big fan. And I'm like, should I go to North Korea and just take a look at it? No, fuck that. I, I, I want to try it. So I said, if I cannot try it, I don't want to go. So he called and then he came back and said, okay, no problem, Mr. James. You can try it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so we went to the water park. And at that time, every time, any place I went, in, in North Korea, I had those two agents following me. And I was like, couldn't it be hilarious? Just for one minute, maybe two, being alone with the North Korean. So when we went down to uh, the locker room to change, the guy I went with speak, spoke very poorly English. So I started to get undressed and I start to ask him just like stupid random question. Oh, do you know where the great leader lives? And he go, oh, I don't know. I cannot tell you. And and I ask all those questions and take my clothes off. And he was like thinking very hardly how he should answer me. So he stayed in his clothes. And in the end, I had I was 100% butt naked, clapping on the shoulder, saying, listen, mate, let's take it inside. I went into the shower, quick water in my head, bathing suits up, jumped in. This was a Sunday. It was totally packed. And at that time, I had a beer into here, and I'm to two of most of my top body. So this half-Arab guy suddenly jumped into a water park filled with North Korean civilian who just looked and like, what the heck is that? That was, that was priceless. <laughs> but 
after we had been there for three days, I haven't seen anything I was promised. So I talked to one of the agents and I said, like, in a solid but still polite way, I mean, first of all, I have to thank you for giving me this great uh, vacation. But you have to know that for me coming here, it cost me 200,000 euro. And the reason why, because what people have to understand, when you go into North Korea, you fly into a black hole. No, no reception on your phone, no internet, everything just shut down. Hmm. So you have no communication with the outside world. So what I told him was normally when I go on business trip in the evening, I do my work. But all the time I've been here, it has been impossible. So I have lost one week. So if you don't show me the things that I was told in Spain that you could provide, just for you to know, I'm not coming back. So the next morning, I'm sitting and having my breakfast. And then the two agents shows up and say, come on, Mr. James, it's time. He didn't tell me what it was. I was like, all right. So I'm going with him, uh, with the other Danish bloke, the guy who was on the cover. We yeah. go into a Mercedes uh, car and start driving outside town. And at that point, I was like, hmm, have I, have I fucked up in any way? <laughs> and, and, yeah. and suddenly we, we, we go into like a slum area and it stops just outside a building that looks something that should have been torn down 10 years ago. And they asked me to go in the down in the basement. And at that time, I was like, okay, oh. if, if they have found out who I am, I know they will not kill me. Because, or if they have suspicion of anything, they will torture me, but they will not kill me because they want to have the information I have. So I was like starting to think, okay, don't panic. What would be the most realistic? Um, what would be the most realistic uh, reaction to this? That would be become angry. So I started to think about things that could piss me mm. off. And then they opened the door. And in my mind, I was like, there's standing two guys with Kalisnikov in there, and this is it. But suddenly, we are in this really, really yeah. beautiful restaurant. Uh. And it, it first, it took me some time to find out why we went there. But the thing is, the North Koreans are not only paranoid to people from the outside world, but they're also paranoid to the people surrounding them. Because what people have to understand, Pyongyang, which is the, uh, the, uh, the greatest city in North Korea, people, you are not allowed to decide where to live. Where you live is about the position you have, okay? So when we sat down there and negotiated in the contract, some of the things that was most important for them was that I signed on that the people I will negotiate with in the future would only be the people in that room. Because you can see the thing uh, that the, the, the one who would come with a guy with 50 million euro is like his pension was safe. 
he, he would be home free. So they yeah. didn't want to share. And it turns out that the area we were sitting in, right, uh, was only for that crew. So they feel that um, that that we could be safe down there. So in the end of the night, uh, we signed out the contract. And in that contract, we agreed on that uh, because to get uh, weapons out of North Korea is harder than getting what we're not allowed to talk about out of Colombia. Wow. So we... We, we were talking about making a weapon factory outside North Korea. So we would build an underground weapon factory and a meth lab. So our next meeting should be where that should be. So we signed a contract and, and due to all the sanction there is, they needed a middleman because uh, the old customers was quite afraid of uh, continuing doing business with North Korea. So that was... I, I would be the buffer in that one. So we signed the contract and I went back to Denmark. Wow. Wow. And the, <laughs> I should just say this whole story is insane. And I, I watched the documentary, by the way, The Mole. So I remember seeing, I was seeing you and seeing all of it going on. It's just the most extraordinary thing. Because I think for most of us, it's just like, it's it's scary enough just being in North Korea, but the stuff you were getting involved in and then getting into that restaurant, my word. <laughs> Come on, your heart must have jumped in your throat, right? I would say that this had been the time in my life where I should concentrate the most to keep my cool. Yes. In, in, in those minutes down the stairs, I tried because I said, if, if I have nothing to hide, I would not look, look nervous. And that's why I worked so much on my anger mm -hmm. that I was more focused on getting angry than anything else because then your, your mindset was just on that one. I know that feeling and it's so hard. You have to go exactly what you said. You have to pretend like, okay, if I was this person, this is how I would feel. And whenever I try to do that, my mind just goes blank. I can't think, like, what would I feel? <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm not a good actor. But did it come quite naturally to you then? I mean, the thing is, I played that role for four years. And uh, wow. if you have to do it, there's, a, like, there's an old Chinese saying, saying that uh, a guy who lies should have a good memory. And I don't have a good memory. So I was thinking about it's, uh, it's quite important that all my stories is like 99% truth. So I took stories from my own life and made a little twist to them. Because in that way, it was really easy for me to remember it. Yeah. And I tried to build the character as much of who I am as a person. I would say the same kind of joke I would do as a person. I just stepped it up a little bit. Mm. Uh, because it's, I mean, you can do that for one day. But the thing is, when you meet the same people years after, and the thing is, there always come three people in a negotiation. And one of them will always stay sober. 
And this is where my criminal background comes and uh, support me. Because when I was criminal, we were drinking, doing beep, and everything else. Uh, and we learned never to uh, talk about things we shouldn't, even when we were heavily uh, influenced by different substances. Yeah. So that was... And, and, and in, uh, in uh, Asian culture, is in, 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 in business release, it's a very common thing because normally when people drink, they start to talk uh, about things they're not supposed to. So if, if you want to make sure that uh, who they are or what the real agenda is, start drink with them. But mm. I grew up in a very socialist uh, family so I knew all the things about Chile back in the 70s. So yeah. when we started to drink, it's, it's not difficult to uh, be angry at America of different things. So, so it was quite easy for me while I was drinking, saying, oh, remember in Chile with Allende and Sake, and they loved it. So, yeah, that, that, that definitely helped me out. <laughs> Just telling stories, anti-American stories. Are you not concerned yep. that now that they know that you weren't real, uh, they could send somebody to get you? I mean, I think to my understanding of their culture, they're doing what I was think is smart, is that because if they kill me, they actually prove to the world that I have a point and what I did was right. But instead, they would say all of this is propaganda. Mm -hmm. And and that's the way I haven't been threatening anyway since I came home. And uh, but I, but I also knew that before. I mean, put it in this way, I would not have done this in Russia. Yeah. Okay, you think so? That's interesting then. That, <laughs> that Russia is more vengeful than North Korea. I mean, Russia would have killed me before the movie came out. <laughs> okay, yeah, don't do it in in Russia then. God, no, nope, well, no, no. What what happens Remember next that. then? Tell, tell me the next part of the story. Yeah, so. They came up with Namibia. Namibia should be the country where we should go next. So I started contacting landowner in Namibia. Uh, and suddenly in that process, due to the sanction, the government uh, uh, lost the nerves. And they had to come up with another country they uh, did business with. So... Um, so that was Uganda. So I started looking in where I could get property in Uganda. I went to Google, of course. And I found that you could buy an island in the Victoria Lake. So I called up the director and the producer and said, I found this island. It costs $5.4 million US. I mean, what is more Dr. Evil than having your own <laughs> island? And they just loved it. So I started negotiating with the landowner and uh, uh, 
because we don't have that much time, there's some things about my background story I haven't been able to tell. But when I was very young, I was in the French Foreign Legion and I was stationed in Djibouti in Africa. I was a paratrooper. So uh, I knew a little bit about the continent uh, because I was a soldier there. And uh, um, I also knew if you have to do business in Africa, you have to have involvement from the government because lots of land have been sold more than once. So I say to the landowner, I'm interested, we want to buy it, but I'm not making any deals without having any co a, a collaboration from the government. And they say, no problem. And all this was just by emailing, only emailing forth and back and negotiating and say, I will come down there. We will have a meeting. I want to see the island. I want to meet with the government. And they say, yeah, no problem. So I went down there. Uh, I went with my producer uh, because it's very important when you make a documentary like this that all the ideas is made by them. So you don't make a honeypot that we are not the one creating anything. They're the one creating it. Mm. So uh, the producer had been working on one of the biggest uh, television stations in Denmark. He know all the rules. And I felt more comfortable to having him uh, uh, guiding me. So we did everything by the book. So I was like saying, oh, how, how are we doing this and this? So we flew down there. Uh, and we had a security guy with us as well. And uh, uh, the mole was also with us. Yeah. And then we had a cameraman. And, and uh, we hired a boat. And uh, while I was talking to the captain of the boat, the producer, he came up and said to me, just for you, you to know it, um, uh, the representative of the landowner told me that he had told all the people who lives on the island that you are there to build a hospital. I said, what? What the fuck did he do that? Have you have a microphone on? Do we have that on tape? And he said, no. So we have to have it on tape because, I mean, if the movie comes out and the people on the island have been told that I'm there to uh, uh, build a hospital, this is just fucked up. And yeah. uh, so we went to the island. And as you have seen in the movie, we were welcomed by hundreds of people on the beach. Uh, welcome us. And uh, we went to a church and the, it was so fucking crazy that the, the representative of the landowner uh, did a prayer where he told all those poor people on the island they should treat me good because I was sent by Jesus to build a hospital. Ah. And, and I was saying to the producer, I have an idea. Let's have a meeting afterwards on a hotel next to the island. Uh, so we can get on tape that that this whole thing was his idea, not ours. And, 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 and we got that. But in the end, the North Korean was also flying down there. And uh, their idea was that we would build a five-star hotel on top of the island. Hmm. And uh, we will have a weapon factory under and before the North, yeah, before the North Korean came, I had a meeting with the landowner and uh, two government officials, 
And the funny part is that scene in the movie is not with hidden cameras. Because I say to them, I have a cameraman because he, he was with me on the island. I say, I brought him because he filmed everything so I could present it to the board. And I would suggest he films our meetings too because you say such an incredible thing and uh, I'm so afraid it would lose, we would lose something and we will miss that in the negotiation. And they were yeah, no problem. And, and, and while I was sitting with them, I didn't tell the government down there that I will build an underground weapon factory, but I said it like this. I want 100% privacy on the island. Uh, <laughs> and I want a permit so I can land a Boeing 747 and take off without customers looking at it. And they say, yeah, yeah, no problem. We can actually have customs sail around the island and protect your island. That was how we left Uganda. Wow. <laughs> it's just the maddest thing, isn't it? It's, it's, it's so crazy because I was like, it seemed, I mean, you would think this is really complicated stuff that it takes long time, but it just showed that this is not the first time any of those parties have done this. And the thing is also, when I went out of North Korea, I'm the first one in history who came out with a complete weapons list. I have I have a complete weapons list of um, Scott missiles, uh, Termi ballistic Scott missiles, range up to thirteen hundred kilometers. I have a list of how many they have on stocks and the prices. Hmm. And uh, while we were in Uganda they start to ask me if I could help them with transport to Syria. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite crazy. Uh, uh, and they also came up with another idea until the island was built. I should make a, a plane. So I will make come up with a fake uh, you know, uh, what's it called? Um, hmm. Unite, no, like UNICEF. Oh, uh, so so I, I will make a felt, fake help organization. Mm -hmm. So I will fly down blankets and stuff like that. And we will refill the plane in a garage to the night and then they will fill it up with weapons and then I will take off. Oh my God. And they already had the system for it. I mean, he was telling me that it would be, I mean, he told me that it's like, oh, you're taking my daughters out, take the car in the second garage. Just remember, she had to be home before midnight. It was just like that. <laughs> Man, what that list then of weapons that you got out of North Korea. So who did that get given to? So who, just to re remind me, who was, you know, uh, who was in charge and who was paying, who was paying you? Did they pay you well to do this, to act as a spy? Uh, the producers. So this was just the documentary people who had you there for four years. Is the from the documentary? Yeah, yeah. The, the, this was a civil mission. Yes. Mm. 
That's fascinating. And so did they did they pay you well to do this? Do you mind disclosing that? I got money. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they paid me. Yes. I was paid. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because otherwise, I mean, it's years of your life and you've risked your life for it as well. I mean, no, nobody yeah. would begrudge you that. I think that's perfectly acceptable. But I guess you might have been tempted at certain times otherwise to steal some weapons or something, you know, if they weren't paying you. No. <laughs> I would have. No. I mean, the, I mean, I think it was quite exciting because this, an offer like this comes once in a lifetime. I mean, think about yeah. it. You, you are allowed to play James Bond for four years, <laughs> live in presidential suites. I, I was also in Jordan because, I mean, I don't know how much more time we have, but I can recommend people to see the movie. Uh, um, mm. And uh, But what we did was at one point in the end of all this, they came out with a triangle system. They had a guy in Jordan that uh, could provide oil. So the thing was that I got weapons for them. When I got my weapons, I would give him money. And then he will smuggle oil to uh, North Korea. I met with him in uh, Amman in Jordan. And uh, we can still not tell all he said to me because the government in Jordan put a lot of pressure with lawyers on us. But oh. at one point, I say, how, how can you get an oil tanker outside? I mean, you cannot just take an oil tanker outside Amman without no, nobody asking you questions. And he revealed his business partner. And that name really pissed off the Jordan government. So they would, because the movie is BBC, Norwegian, Sweden, and Denmark. That, those are the uh, biggest networks in those countries. They, they are the producer of the movie. And even BBC pulled the uh, plug on that one. So we had to put a beep on that name. But okay. it, was, it, was, it was a high-ranked name. Wow. So, so, so yeah. It, and, and it was just like this rabbit hole. Because every, every time we had been on a mission, it was like, yeah, the movie could be finished now. But it's like... Did they say something about Syria? Okay, let's go to Beijing. Let's. <laughs> so I was in Beijing. I've been in Cambodia. I've been in Jordan. I've been some really, really crazy places. I smuggled surveillance cameras in and out of China. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's quite. <laughs> have you have you been uh, approached? It, it has been a very crazy. Oh, sorry. Have you been approached to continue in this line of work? Uh, no, no, I, I, I think uh, because the movie had been out in, yeah, I think 40 countries by now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I, 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 I think my, 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 my face is quite used. Mm. Um, but I, I mean, I have my own companies back in Denmark and uh, I, I just came up with a uh, a biography there's a bestseller in Denmark and it have been out in Poland so we're working on distributing that to 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 the rest of the world and uh, yeah. yeah let's see what's coming we need it in English is it in English 
No, not yet. Not yet. Working on it. Okay. Okay. That's. And where would you like to send some people here? Like to your Twitter profile or, or somewhere? Uh, I mean, I have uh, my Instagram and everybody, I mean, I control it myself. Nobody else is controlling it. Uh, so any kind of questions, you are more than welcome to write me and I will answer you personally. What And what is it? Is it just your name? Yeah, uh, it's uh, it, it's it's just my, my, my name. It's just Jim Latrash without the Quartrop in it. It's just Jim Latrash and then it comes up. And it's okay. not confusing because I'm the only one with that name. Okay, got it. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty uh, unique unique name for a unique <laughs> story. Wow, it's really something. And uh, I'm so impressed. I'm so amazed by your story, Jim. Thank you so much for, for telling it to me. Um, I don't know if Sean wants to come on and say hello or goodbye, or is he just because I can see he's in the little... Oh, here he is. Yeah, absolutely mind-blowing, Jim. That's fascinating. If you come to <laughs> London... We'd love to do a much longer interview with you because you, you, you've run out of time, but there's so much more to it, isn't there, Jim? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, I'm closer to you than I am in my parents-in-law. It takes me, I live next to the airport. It takes me like 50 minutes than I'm in the UK. Hmm. So, I mean, right, Sean, I also love your documentary. Is that when, the Savile one? I was one? in prison, I saw it. Uh, the one about your, the one we're Hanged not, abroad. you're trading and at the time in New York, <laughs> it's quite interesting. It was Arizona, interesting. I, Arizona I, I jail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, I've, I've got to and, go uh, guys because I've got my, my dinner, girlfriend shouting at me. But okay. uh, I'll speak to you in a bit, Sean, and thank you, Jim. You're welcome. All right, thanks, Jim. I've got to get on to the next guest. So we will stay in touch. You take care, my friend. Definitely. Time. Take care. Cheers, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.